are entering the Freedom Hut. The Democrats are circling the wagons around banning the use of spying as a term to describe spying. We'll talk about how that factors into the whole Trump-Russia collusion delusion and also some big indictments today, including Julian Assange, who is going to get, looks like, extradited to the U.S. And there's another big prosecution we'll tell you about, but you got to stay for the show. That's all coming up. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. You think I can speak for three hours without a phone call? Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Are you pleased that your attorney general yesterday said that there was spying into your campaign in 2016? Yes, I am. I think what he said was uh, absolutely true. Uh, there was absolutely spying into my campaign. Uh, I'll go a step further. In my opinion, it was illegal spying, unprecedented spying, and something that should never be allowed to happen in our country again. And I think his answer was actually a very accurate one. Welcome to the Buck Saxton Show. Trump laying it down there. Is there any doubt? Of course there was spying. Of course that's what the people in the deep state and Christopher Steele and the, you know, that's what it is. That's what happened. Are we really going to argue about this? Apparently we are. The media is, oh, you can't, you can't say that. You know, it was one thing when they were being crazy about this before, but we have known now for then they were just lying, but at least it was there was a plausible deniability. Like maybe they, because we didn't yet have the facts. We didn't know about the FISA. We didn't know about the human sources. We didn't know about all the different tools of the federal government used to spy on American citizens tied to President Trump and to use the efforts to spy on those Americans tied to Trump as the basis of this narrative that Trump is a Russian spy himself. What's happened here is that just the attorney general who, who you know, uh, Bill Barr, who has real gravitas and knows what he's doing and, and knows this game and knows what the Democrats are trying to pull here, is just calling it what it is. And they're all freaking out. You know, they, they, they were lying to us back in the day about how there was no spying. And now they're trying to just lie to our faces when we know there was spying. But here's what they used to sound like. Play seven. There is no evidence to support any allegation that the FBI or any intelligence agency placed a spy in the Trump campaign. His baseless claims of spies. This so-called spy issue, first of all, there's absolutely no evidence there was a spy. So it's really a fake issue. It's this phony baloney story about a spy in the campaign. To call them a conspiracy theory is to give them too much credit. Just fake facts. All the other people who've seen the intelligence in your own party are saying it, there's just no there there. I'm wondering what it will take for you, Congressman Zeldin, yeah. to say he's full of it. What is it going to take for CNN, Aaron Burnett there and others to say, oh, sorry, our bad. We were wrong 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 well they were lying 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 actually they weren't just wrong i think a lot of them knew i mean certainly adam schiff knew he's on the uh you know house intelligence committee these are people that have clearances they knew speaking of people with clearances who are lying people at the very highest level of the intelligence community someone explained to me grumble grumble clapper 
a.k.a. James, uh, James Clapper, how he's supposed to be able to get away with saying stuff like this still. Play eight. Was the FBI spying on Trump's campaign? Uh, uh, no, he, they were not. They were spying on a, a term I don't particularly like, but on what the Russians were doing, trying to understand were the Russians infiltrating, trying to gain access, trying to gain leverage and influence. So which, why doesn't which he is like what they do? So why doesn't he like that? He should be happy though. Well, he should doing. be. Why doesn't he like that? He should be happy with what they did. He's trying to keep the Russians out of the campaign. Does anyone believe this? Is anyone that's other than Joy Behar, is anyone that stupid to think that that's what was going on here? If if they were doing this for the benefit of the Trump campaign, wouldn't they have told the Trump campaign that there were efforts at Russian penetration and asset cultivation within the Trump campaign? They explicitly did not do that. No, instead, they found the on the flimsiest pretext possible. I mean, to go after Carter Page and George Papadopoulos. Remember, those were names that 18 months ago, people were saying they were traitors. People were saying they sold out their country. And now that we know what really happened, these guys didn't do anything. I mean, you know, they're a little, a little out of their depth, maybe a little clownish, but no ill intent. They're not unpatriotic. They're not, they're not doing anything wrong to a... I mean, what a terrible thing to say about somebody. I mean, being called a traitor by people who really mean a traitor when you are not in the least, when you're a patriot and have done nothing wrong, you know, if, if it's like being called a you know, a, a rapist or a murderer or a molester. I mean, it's a terribly damaging thing. One of the worst things you can be called. And it was said about them all the time. And, and even people like Maria Butina, who was a Russian national that was initially smeared by the press as being a, a, a honey trap because of a, a joke that she made over text messages, somebody saying that she was trading sex for access. Total lie. Do you think the press ever really apologized for that? No, of course not. She was Russian, so she was really scary. And also, so what if her reputation and life maybe were ruined by the media's recklessness? You know, the mainstream media in their, in their feverish pursuit of the Russia collusion delusion took the attitude of, you know, if you got to break a lot of eggs to make an omelet of BS, go for it. That's what they did. Now they're saying there was no spying. I mean, what what's next? They, they never wanted to get Trump in the first place? Oh, that's what's going to be interesting. They're going to try to rewrite the history. It, it's going to happen. You're going to hear people say this. It was never really about Russia-Trump collusion. It was just about looking into obstruction of justice and also the Russian interference in the election. They're going to try to excise that whole the president of the United States is a Russian asset, was working for the Kremlin, doing Putin's bidding, this completely insane stuff that was being said all the time. You know, the, 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 there were people who were being called Russian agents in the Trump administration that y y you, could, you would have to struggle hard to find something to say in public on MSNBC or CNN that was more on its face moronic. But it was being said by people who take themselves very seriously, are paid for their opinions and expertise. James Clapper on The View, no less. The View, where all the really important conversations happen with Joy Behar. You know, the, the View is a place where you'd think that James Clapper might let his hair down a little bit. No, no, not trying to be funny with that because I know, you know, Clapper, I'm not, he's, he's follicularly challenged or whatever. That's not what I was going for. But 
Clapper saying that there was no spying by the FBI. How, how could he say this? And now you start to get into what did they know and when did they know it? It is, I worked in the intelligence community. I sat in on meetings with and briefed the people who are the very, very top, all the way up to the president, but you know the DNI, the CIA director. I've, I've, I've run briefings for them. I've been in the room with them. Let me tell you something right now. There is absolutely no way that there could have been anybody under surveillance in the Trump administration orbit without the director of national intelligence, James Clapper, knowing it. It's just, it's just not feasible. We know that there was spying. Now we should start to look back from the spying and say, who, who knew about this when it was happening? Who signed off on this? What was their explanation for this at the time? What we're going to find out, by the way, and this is the real terror from the Democrats, and they're going to try to do everything they can to cover this up, was that the dossier was about 80% of the justification for all of this. That a, a foreign national paid by the DNC to go collect rumors, unsourced rumors from Russian subsources, put them in a raw intelligence document, private intelligence document, not government, and just spew all this stuff onto a page, not analyze or verify any of it. And then you can take that and use that for the, the top of the spying apparatus of the United States government against a presidential campaign. This is crazy. What has happened here is crazy. This is the, you know, the, the Mount Vesuvius eruption of political scandals. And meanwhile, you know, the, the, all the villagers around us are burning and their houses are on fire. And the Democrats are like, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? We're beyond guessing about whether they were spying. Now it's how, how far did it go? Who signed off on it? Did they break the law or were they just unethical? Lindsey Graham gets it. Play four. There's no doubt they were spying on Trump's people in campaign. The question was, was it lawful? The Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act allows you to follow around people you think are working with a foreign government. Counterintelligence investigation, by very definition, is surveilling people that you <coughs> think are spying. So the question was, it, was it lawful? If the warrant was based on the dossier, that wasn't lawful. And I don't know why they did not tell Trump about people on his campaign working Senator. for Russia, if they really believe that. Their stories, the Democrats, the leftist media, and, and one, one part of this that I'm really hoping we get to is, speaking of collusion, the degree of collusion between the so-called serious journos of places like CNN and you know, you know, other other news outlets that say they're just doing journalism the way that they worked hand in glove with not just former intelligence agency officials, but the former chiefs, most recent chiefs of the intelligence agencies who would have been working specifically on the very issue of Russia Trump collusion while they were in office and then using those allegations, laundering them through the press to give them the veneer of credibility. How much of that happened? You know, how many conversations did say Clapper and Jake Tapper, Clapper and Tapper? Sounds like a really bad cop buddy comedy. Uh, how, how much did they talk about this? How is it that CNN managed to break the story of the briefing of the dossier by Comey to Trump right after it happened? Oh, that's right, because they needed somebody 
to create a news item out of something that was unsourced. And then BuzzFeed, which we know from the conversations between the very, very uh, conversation between BuzzFeed editor-in-chief Ben Smith and uh, none other than fake Jake Tapper, that they wanted to report on the existence of the dossier without letting people see the dossier. That was the game. That was what it was going to be. And then BuzzFeed let the cat out of the bag. See what I did there? BuzzFeed, cats, cat videos. Let the cat out of the bag, and we all got to see that this document was completely ridiculous. James Comey sat down with the President of the United States and said, you should know that this is out there. I mean, this is the equivalent of the FBI director sitting down with the President of the United States and saying, hey, you see all these comments from internet trolls that are on this post about you? Some of them are saying some pretty crazy stuff. We thought you should see this. What? These people are supposed to be professionals. They're supposed to be uh, neutral purveyors of sensitive information so that the government can make the best decisions possible. And what we had here were a bunch of clowns, partisan clowns, blinded by their own egos and political allegiances, and a media that was just up to its neck in advocacy for Hillary and, and doing everything they could to take down and destroy the president. And it went so far as to be a conspiracy to weaponize the intelligence apparatus of the United States government against a presidential campaign in an election year. And we've had no, no accountability for this really whatsoever yet. No real reckoning. The reason they don't want people to use the term spying is because it will start to sink in. The Obama administration, his appointees, and oh, speaking of when did he know and what did he know, you're going to tell me that Obama didn't know about this? That's, that's an unserious position. So Obama's appointees, with Obama knowing at least some of what was going on and not calling this into question, were spying on a presidential campaign. And then once they couldn't get their way and find what they thought they would find, they decided to cover their tracks by concocting a story of obstruction. And, and then doing everything they could to fill the airwaves and, and fill the newsrooms with all these rumors about these nefarious plots with Putin and Trump and doing his bidding. And this was all propaganda. It was just a giant web of lies. You cannot trust these people anymore. If you ever did, please stop believing them. They may traffic in facts sometimes, but it's only so that they can piggyback the propaganda on top of it. There was spying. Do not let them gaslight you. Do not let them pretend that it didn't happen. It happened. They spied on the Trump campaign. They threw everything they could at President Trump to take him down. He came out on top. But that's not enough. Now we got to find out what they did in detail. The American people need to know. And we need to know before we vote on the next presidential election. And I think Bill Barr is going to get us there. The Democrats... The reckoning is coming. We'll be right back. He is the opposite of Sessions, who, has been, who was recused. He's embedded. He is completely immersed now with the Trump uh, team. He shouldn't have been confirmed. Once he was confirmed, he should have recused himself. He has no business being on this case. I won't accept anything about this investigation until we hear from Bob Mueller. I mean, the Democrats 
weren't going to be happy no matter who Trump appointed the attorney general role, because if you have an adult in that role who refuses to go along with the left wing game anymore here of, oh, yeah, all this Russia collusion stuff, this was on the up and up. This seemed legit. If you don't say that, if you're not part of the part of the team, so to speak, team take down Trump, they're going to have a problem with you. And that's where we are. This is why all the Democrats are they're, they're attacking Barr as though, you know, it's his fault that there was no Russia collusion. It's Barr's fault that Mueller didn't bring obstruction or collusion charges, did not say that there should be those charges. Conspiracy, not collusion, but you know what I mean. This is all they've got now. Go after the guy who is doing everything he can to respect the process. But the the cardinal sin here, the thing that they will refuse to forgive is that Barr won't back down from obvious, objective reality, which is that there was spying. Of course there was spying. There are whole New York Times articles referring to the FISA stuff as spying. You know, when it when it benefited the left to make this thing seem as nefarious as possible, lots of stories about Carter Page spying for the Russians, spying on Carter Page to see if he was spying for the Russians. George Papadopoulos, maybe tied to WikiLeaks, maybe involved with Russian spies. Who knows? All that was used all the time. Now that there's nothing that they can point to to justify all this. Like, oh, spying. Well, it wasn't spying. It was it was more like a, a check-in using the most sophisticated intelligence collection apparatus in the world and doing so as an end run on any Fourth Amendment protection in the name of national security. Yeah, it's called spying. Use the SPY word, folks. Do not let them try to, to push you off of this because... It, it conveys the gravity and the seriousness of what happened here, which is that the Democrats tried a soft coup against the president of the United States. That's what they did. You cannot trust these people. You should not listen to these people, but you should watch them very closely because here's a, here's a promise. If we don't hold them accountable for this, they would try this again. Let me just say, how very, very dismaying and disappointing that the chief law enforcement officer of our country is going off the rails yesterday and today. He is the the attorney general of the United States of America, not the attorney general of Donald Trump. Not even really true what she's saying there. I mean, the attorney general works for the president. So, but yes, he is first and foremost supposed to work for the American people. And that's what he's doing. This is the, this is the way that the Democrat panic manifests itself. This is a straight up exercise in controlling the narrative. There was spying. There's no serious argument otherwise. It is very clear that what's happening here is Democrats trying to normalize or dismiss this by saying, oh, don't don't use that word. Don't use the S word, the spying word. Uh, how is how is Barr going off the rails? You know, in in what way has there been any violation of the trust put in Barr or, or just has there been a violation of common sense? Nadler and Pelosi are spewing this garbage 
And these people are a joke, an absolute joke. But unfortunately, they've got a lot of power and the media is backing them up on this stuff. Play clip three. Republican conspiracy theory nonsense. It's a shell game. Look at this imaginary conspiracy versus the fact that the Russians interfered with our elections. I'm very concerned about the statements made by Attorney General Barr. I think that they undermine uh, our Constitution. Uh, they undermine the role of the Attorney General. I don't trust Barr. I trust Mueller. Okay. Oh, okay. She doesn't trust Barr. She trusts Mueller. Mueller is part of the redaction team going through the report right now. Mueller has not objected to anything that Barr has done. Mueller is involved in all of this. But, I mean, Nancy Pelosi is, she look, she's just, she has no ethical core whatsoever. Just so, will say whatever she has to say that benefits her side. She'll say anything. She'll say anything. And that guy Nadler saying, look at this imaginary conspiracy versus the fact that the Russians interfered in our elections. You want to talk about an exaggeration. The Russian interference in the election was a an eyedropper of water into an ocean of media and social media in the 2016 fight. Yeah, did something happen? Sure. Did it matter? No serious person thinks that it mattered. But the imaginary conspiracy here is supposed to be the spying. The spying is a matter of record. It is a matter of fact. We've spent two years waiting for the spying to be justified, and now that they cannot justify the spying, they're saying it wasn't spying. Oh, wow, that's that's quite a walk back, isn't it? That's, that's astonishing. And they also, I think, have been thrown into a little bit of a disarray because unless they get something really good on the obstruction, they know. They know that impeachment is likely to blow back on them, that it's not a politically intelligent thing for them to do, which is all they really care about, the pursuit and exercise, the pursuit, acquisition, and exercise of power. That is, that is the, the, the central soul of the Democrat left. That's, that, that's the most important thing of all. What they have to do to get there, you know, what the results are once they get it, that's all secondary. They need to be in power. They have to be the ones who are in charge here. That's what mobilizes them. That's what makes them tick. And that's why on impeachment, Pelosi's now saying, well, maybe we got to step this back a little bit. Maybe we've got to think a little more about the long-term ramifications here. Play two. The fact is, is that this president has engaged in activities that are unethical, uh, un. American in terms of taking babies out of the arms of their moms, unpatriotic, un, I mean, in every way he is unfit to be president of the United States. Does that make it, is that an impeachable offense? Well, it depends on what we see in the report. Depends on the report. They're still clinging to this. He's unethical, un-American, unpatriotic. What, can Pelosi fill in some specifics here? What what is what is un-American about Donald Trump? I mean, that's a real that's a real stretch. I'd like to know. What did he do that's un-American? What did he do that's unpatriotic? You know, the, the, the previous president, Obama, he was the one who was running around bowing and apologizing, and America's really not that great. And Michelle Obama said she never, you know, for the first time in her adult life, she was proud of her country when her husband became the commander in chief. Uh 
what is a what does Trump do that's unpatriotic? I I would like to know what that you know. Does she just pick words that mean bad? Nancy Pelosi finds words that are bad and then just says them about Trump. In every way, he's unfit. I mean, that's interesting because I think right now he would crush, absolutely crush any Democrat who ran against him. Bernie Sanders might be able to win one or two states that Hillary lost. That's it. Now, not one of the big ones. And that's assuming that the media can run enough cover and defense for a socialist, which I, I don't even I don't even know if the media has that kind of juice anymore. I don't know if they're really in a place to shape the narrative so that a democratic socialist can can run and win. We're going to see. I think we're going to find out because I, I do think it's going to be. You're asking me right now. I think the candidate's going to be Bernie. I don't think you're going to have some Democrat come out of this pack. I think there's a lot of feeling out there that it should have been Bernie in 2016. He's raising a lot of money. He's got the name recognition. They go back to Biden. There's why why would any person vote for Biden over Trump because of the, the he's he's a more normal return to politics or something? It does not make any sense to me. Any sense at all. But we'll see. Democrats do a lot of things that don't make sense to me. It doesn't mean that's not going to happen. Oh, team, we have oh so much more coming your way. I want to talk to you about Medicare for All, Bernie's plan, and some other stuff coming up. It's obviously a question whether you trust Bill Barr or not. He was confirmed uh, unanimously as attorney general way back in Bush 41. He's an honorable man. He's not over there trying to cover anything up. He's going to send us a Mueller report that is as open as possible. And when I say as possible, I'm pretty confident he's not going to throw innocent people who weren't charged under the bus and ruin their reputation or reveal classified information. This effort to undermine Barr before this report comes out is, is so transparent and it's gone into overdrive with the yeah, there was spying debate that we've we've been thrown into now, which is not a debate. It's just a do you do you admit reality or not? There was spying. Do you admit what happened or do you not admit what happened? And you look, Mitch McConnell, a.k.a. Cocaine Mitch. Any of you don't know why they call him that. You just got to If you Google Cocaine Mitch on YouTube or something, or that's not Googling, but you'll see it'll come up. It, it was from an ad uh, run by a an opponent of his. I forget the guy's name where he started calling him Cocaine Mitch and it just stuck as a, as a wacko, crazy nickname. Uh, but but you, you don't mess with Cocaine Mitch. The guy knows what he's doing. And he understands the game here, which is they're trying to do everything that they can to undermine Barr in this process, who's already been the attorney general. He has all the credentials, all the background to, to be in this role. And what you're seeing is that Democrats have, no, there's no good faith here. They, they always want their guy or their gal in this role because they know that leftists will side with leftists. And then they'll have the whole left-wing ecosystem of media and academia and you know the DNC and all the rest of it saying, oh, no, no, that was the right decision. Of course, that was the right decision. There was no politics involved there. Don't be silly. Don't be silly. Um, you know, the, everything that Barr has said is legitimate. He, here's Senator Jerry Moran who's just saying, of course he should look into spying. Of course Barr, ha, he, he, it's not just that it's a good idea. He has a mandate. He has a mandate to look into spying. He must know if the government was abusing its power here. Play six. 
Those who are critics of the president, those who are perhaps critics of the attorney general are overemphasizing the word spying. What he was talking about was the efforts that uh, commenced this investigation. Were they based upon uh, legal authority? And the question is, uh, it, did that occur? That's a very, a, a very valid request of an attorney general to find out what the facts are. It's not even a request. It's an obligation. He must find this out. He must find this out. I, I would note, you know, before we second hour, we, we got some big things we have to get to uh, the Julian Assange arrest today. Julian, my buddy from a couple of years ago, we had a long chat. I'll tell you about that. Uh, Ju- the Julian Assange arrest. Also, a, a Greg Craig got arrested, the White House counsel for Obama in, in the beginning of the first Obama term. He's now facing a, a serious felony indictment and, you know, they're. They're feeding him to the lions, but I'll get into why that is. Uh, more updates on the border. Total mess. The media's lying about it. We'll just we'll get into that because we should. We have to. And then the latest on uh, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar and their the way they're defending themselves uh, when people point out the the bad or stupid or reckless things that they say. Oh, here's a guess. It has to do with racism, right? That's that's where they take the conversation. But Bernie Sanders put out yesterday his uh, Medicare for all. The millionaires, the billionaires are going to pay for it. Um, Mitch McConnell understands that this is a bad idea. I, I like I like Mitch when he's getting getting feisty, getting a little frisky. I like that Mitch McConnell. And here's what he said about Bernie's Medicare for for all plan. Play 11. Not as long as I'm majority leader. It ought to be called Medicare for none. Because as the setup piece uh, pointed out, 180 million Americans would lose the private health insurance they many of them have negotiated for at work. Uh, Medicare itself that uh, current recipients have been paying into all these years would be completely drained by adding all these additional people. If you want to turn America into a socialist country, this is the first step. That coupled, of course, with the Green New Deal, which would eliminate a whole lot of jobs. I think what we're seeing here is full uh, socialism on display in the Democratic primaries for president. Full socialism on display. Absolutely correct. That is what is going on here. Pushing to get us closer and closer to a truly uh, socialist society where you have the government making far too many decisions, the government deciding who gets what and when, how much wealth you're allowed to have, how much of your wealth or your earnings goes to somebody else or some government program. And Bernie Sanders is saying that he would be willing to use, this just came out yesterday, to get this thing through, he's going to use budget reconciliation. This, this is one place where I, I get very frustrated with Republicans because Republicans still kind of like to play nice. Republicans will say, oh, but you know, the Senate, we don't want to rock the boat too much. And there's all this institutions and blah, blah, all that stuff. Democrats are like, we want this, we're going to do it. We want this. We're going to find a way to get around the Senate 60 vote requirement right now and just do it with a slim 50 vote majority. So, uh, you know, people are saying that senators don't believe that this kind of legislation could go through under reconciliation. But, uh, you know, Sanders doesn't care what's supposed to happen. He just cares what he can do. The raw exercise of power is all Democrats feel they need to get what they want. It doesn't matter what they trample in the process. It doesn't matter what... Previous norms are shattered, and this is going to be one of those one of those moments. What was the the first thing when Obama had 
all the votes he needed, both houses of Congress, what was the first thing he did? Healthcare. Because he knew that we'd never be able to get rid of it, and that's where we are right now, and that it would just put us on a pathway to socialized medicine, which is exactly where we are. And I was saying this at the time, along with many, many, many of my conservative brothers and sisters. And we were right, but we were told that we were fear-mongering and we were wrong. And now we're back here at the moment when we're being told that Medicare for All is what the Democrat Party is going to run on in 2020, that they're going to ram it down our throats no matter what, that they're going to destroy the private health insurance market. You're not going to have private insurers anymore. And you're going to, your health care is going to be whatever the heck the Democrat-controlled statists say it is, or Democrat-controlled state, who are statists, say it will be. That's going to be your health care plan. Um, that should be that should be troubling. You know, I, I'm somebody who, you know, I want, and this is where I start to maybe sound a little radical, I want more profit motive in healthcare. I want people spending money to give better care and better delivery. You know, I, I want the healthcare providers to compete vigorously for your business. You know, last time I went to a hospital, it was just such a such a lesson and I waited for must have been in the emergency room, um, must have waited for four or five hours. Doctor came in, spent 30 seconds with me and said, oh, I got to go do something else and left me again. I actually didn't even get seen. I left the hospital without getting to see a doctor because I was just so drained and frustrated and figured, you know, whatever stomach bug I had would just, I it would pass and, you know, I guess I'd be okay and whatever. And I was, but, you know, it was a, it was a rough day. And I waited for four or five hours in there and you know what happened after that? They sent me a bill. Who wants to guess how much the hospital bill was waiting for five hours in an ER? You know, the most, you know, uncomfortable, depressing place imaginable. I mean, you know, short of being in like a, uh, uh, you know, a in the morgue or something. I mean, it's just, you know, it's a lot of people and a lot of pain, and a lot of suffering. And, you know, it's not a place you want to spend a lot of time. I'm glad there are emergency rooms, obviously, but I just, it's not somewhere you will like to wait around. A lot of people are sick. You don't want to get sick. Uh, my hypochondriac side is coming out. But what do you think the bill was for the non-provision of services based upon the blood pressure and blood pressure reading and weight that they took on me when I when they first uh, brought me in? So they had a nurse take my blood pressure, my weight, and and oh, and my temperature. What do you think the bill was that they've sent me that I'm going to have to pay out of pocket because it comes... It was uh, $1,200. That's right, $1,200. To not help me, not do anything, not see me. I, I'm sorry, but that's not good enough. And if I don't pay it, oh, they're going to send collection agency after me and all this other, you know. That's not good enough. Our health care should be better than it is. It's not going to be better because a bunch of government bureaucrats sit on boards and committees and try to come up with, you know, cost-saving measures because we're blowing the budget out. That's what Medicare for all will be. It will be a disaster. Your health care will get worse. The economy will be slowed. There'll be less innovation, less cures, less new medicine. But this is what the Democrats want. You know, that you know, just take it back to the Soviet Union. Let's just have glass factories that make glass that breaks before you can get off the assembly line. That's a great idea. That's that's the uh, the economic theory they want to apply to our health care system in this country. I mean, it's just it's just so idiotic, but. And the left has lost its mind. Hour two coming up. WikiLeaks walks like a hostile intelligence service and talks like a hostile intelligence service. It has encouraged its followers to find jobs at the CIA in order to obtain intelligence. 
it's time to call out WikiLeaks for what it really is, a non-state hostile intelligence service often abetted by state actors like Russia. This precedent means that any journalist can be extradited for prosecution in the United States for having published truthful information about the United States. Serious charges involving his role in Russian meddling in our election. He should face charges here without presuming what the outcome will be. Justice should come to Julian Assange. Justice, it seems, is coming to Julian Assange. Arrested today. The Ecuadorian embassy has uh, pushed him out, allowed British police to come in. I wonder if they were like, excuse me, sir, hello, can you please, oh, no, oh, would you please come with us? Oh, yes, oh, no, no, righto, yes. Actually, the cops are like, oi, get your stuff together, lad. Um, get, your, get your butt out of here. And I don't know why all of a sudden the, the cops are Scottish. I don't know, we're, we're running all over the place. Uh, but they've arrested Assange. And now, according to the indictment, which we've seen from the Eastern District of Virginia, where they often handle uh, espionage-related cases or federal government-related cases, uh, you have a charge of com- essentially conspiring to hack into a computer. Now, there's so uh, the this this is all related to the Chelsea Manning situation. This is a Chelsea Manning uh related case and they're not charging him and this is what's very notable and i know people have all this passion about assange and you know i i have a lot of different feelings about what the you know there's so many layers here i I can't just give you the do i think assange is a dirtbag yeah i think he's a dirtbag do i think that he does the bidding of some people in moscow yes i think that that's probably true um, have I seen direct evidence of it yet? No, I have not. So I'm open. I'm open to counter arguments, to be sure. Um, has he published a lot of information that has had a tremendous impact, including on, say, the Arab Spring? And yes, yes, he has. Have I ever seen Julian Assange or do I know? Could I point you to Julian Assange releasing information that endangered the life of any particular source? I can't give you chapter and verse on that. So, you know, I I try to be very honest to the facts as they are around this guy. I interviewed Assange, what now, two years ago at some length on a podcast, not on this show, on the Stansbury Investor Hour, um, which to this day, I wonder what that did, you know, what malware is on my computer and my in my IP system and everything else because of that. Connecting to one of the most surveilled men on the planet inside the Ecuadorian embassy using your own personal IP address, probably not the wisest thing I've ever done, but, you know, I wanted to talk to the guy. So, you know, he's very sanctimonious. He he does think that he's incredibly important. I do think Pam Anderson has been his girlfriend, which is an interesting kind of 90s throwback side note. Um, And there's all this stuff about his cat, too, and how he's kind of a dirty, smelly, nasty guy uh, inside the Ecuadorian embassy. There's only so much PlayStation, I guess, you can do before you just start to like let it go and give up. You know, I will say usually as I'm in a beard phase these days, Assange's beard, beard game, beard game kind of weak. Beard game looked like a guy's been sleeping on a park bench. Maybe he needs to get some of that beard oil or beard wax, whatever going on. Uh, but, you know, I, I look at that. I look at this whole list to get into the substance of this. You know, Has he endangered a source? Not that I not that I could point you to. Does he have an ax to grind against the United States? Yeah, I think so. Um, is he doing the work of hostile foreign uh, foreign powers with what he's engaged in, in the past? Yeah. 
Do I think that he really engaged in whistleblowing by getting Chelsea Manning to release all that classified information? Well, you know, war is messy and bad things happen. I'm, I'm not sure. Well, there was no policy change that came out of that. Uh, so th- there's a lot of compl- I I'm just telling you, there's a lot of complexity here. You know, you look conservatives. Some of your favorite conservatives were having this guy on. And because as soon as he was involved with the release of the DNC emails from uh, from Hillary uh, from the, during the Hillary campaign and, and the Podesta emails, as soon as that was on the table, now a lot of conservatives are like, wow, this radical transparency stuff can be pretty cool. But the moment that people found out about his role in the release of classified information through Chelsea Manning, he was a traitor. People, I saw all these people saying he should be drone striked and all this stuff. Well, this is why there, you know, he's a, there's a lot of interesting stuff. He's a very interesting character, and what he's done raises a lot of questions. I mean, here's some of, and I, a lot of you will disagree with me on this. I mean, I, I think that what he did by releasing the classified information, I think it was reckless. I don't think it had some great effect or impact, uh, but. I also think that a lot of journalists in this country release information that is classified and that is it is reckless to do so. And I, I think they do so often out of spite. You know, I think they do so because the administration that's in power is one they don't like and they're just looking to create a bad news cycle for it. But here, here's where I start to have some conflicting feelings about all this. You know, Julian Assange uh, is not an American citizen. So his obligation to protect classified uh, U.S. government information, I don't believe that it really exists because I certainly wouldn't want to be held to the standard of, well, I said something or published something that the Iranian government, let's say, claims is classified. And therefore, you know, America, to be a good member of the international community, has to hand me over to Iran. I'm not an Iranian citizen. I don't answer to them. Now, in the case of Assange, because he's an Aussie, maybe the Aussies are like, go get him, America. And they probably are because the Aussies are a very good ally. But I think that raises some interesting questions. You know, I think that that creates an, an obligation. You know, one of my big problems with, among many, radical Islam is that it expects it expects the uh, it expects non-believers to obey when it comes to things like not showing images of the Prophet Muhammad. And, you know, that's a level beyond what you get in most other faith traditions, uh, where non-believers have to live by the code of those who believe. If you're not an American citizen, I do not believe you have any obligation to protect American national security information because I would not be expected. I mean, I used to work for the CIA and I would not want to be held to the standard that I, I could be handed over to some foreign government because I messed with their national security information, right? So, or, or now in my role as a, as a media person, not really a journalist, but as a person who does break stories and does do uh, you know, frontline coverage on different issues, I wouldn't want some government to be able to demand my extradition. So, you know, I, I know that my my Assange analysis for some of you is probably unsatisfying in the sense that I'm not, oh, he's terrible and oh, he's great. But I would just note a lot of the people who today, I'm not going to name any names, a lot of conservatives who today are going to tell you this is great. Assange needs to go down and he's a bad guy and all this stuff. Um they were people who not long ago, and I mean a couple of years ago, were saying that Assange was providing a really necessary service and they were interviewing him on their shows. And so people have gone back and forth on this guy. Now, with that in mind, the way that this plays out with the Democrats, I find fascinating.
because Democrats are angry at this guy, have a beef with this guy because of what he did to Hillary, right? It, it is his anti-Hillary uh, record that is why all of a sudden you have a lot of Democrats cheering for him to, to get prosecuted in this country. You have Democrats who are coming out and, and celebrating this, and it's because they're bitter because of the role that he played in really exposing what we already knew was the case, which is that the election or, or the nomination, I should say, was stolen from Bernie Sanders. It was. Bernie should have beaten Hillary in a fair contest without the Democrat apparatus just p- pushing her forward and without all the behind the scenes collusion between you know various Hillary bots that we don't even know about. I think Bernie would have won. And what Assange did was just really expose that. I mean, there's nothing else that anybody particularly remembers about this. I think there might have been some stuff about how Chelsea Clinton's a brat. Whoa, big surprise. You know, I mean, there's some not flattering stuff in there. But the only real bombshell, if you could say there was a bombshell, was that the Democrat National Committee had already picked the candidate for the Democrat Party. There was no need for a primary. It was going to be Hillary. So Assange showed us that, really. Assange gave us, you know, more of that. And some proof of that. And people liked it. And the Democrats obviously hated it. And the Hillary establishment media and national security apparatus types are never going to forgive Assange for what he did there. So he's upset both sides. And he's done things that both sides either like or hate. Um, And obviously his ties to Chelsea Manning makes him a a sort of progressive hero of some kind. Um, but to undermine, and, and this is where, you know, my national security background and, and feelings comes into play. I mean, to undermine uh, confidential and, and secret you know, diplomacy and discussions, um, even if you're not n- naming names necessarily, but that's, that's really dangerous and counterproductive stuff. You see, if you believe, and this is where I have my, my biggest objections to Assange are that he, I think he does do the bidding of And I know this is a phrase that has been polluted by Democrats saying Trump does this, but I really do believe that Assange does the bidding of the Russians. Um, And uh, so, you know, I I have that issue with him. And also, I I think America is overall and on balance an incredible force for good in the world and for people to try and unfairly uh, target just America for embarrassment for the sake of just embarrassing it, that I got, I've got a problem with that. Uh, I, I have an, an issue with that, that there, there needs to be able to be, I mean, a lot of the WikiLeaks cables, a vast majority of it was like, okay, doing what we do, fighting a war, having diplomacy behind the scenes. Yeah, you got to deal with some unsavory characters in the world of diplomacy. Welcome to the world. Um, I, I think that in, in a lot of ways, what we saw in the WikiLeaks cables, um, which, you know, I remember people who had clearances were being told, don't look at the WikiLeaks cables online. I was like, uh, so the people who are legally allowed to see this stuff in their actual jobs shouldn't look at it on the Internet. Uh, that was that was a weird one. Um, but, you know, the, the reality of, of of Assange is that you always are picking a side, folks. And this is what's true of journalism as well. You're always picking a side, and I think I think Assange often sides with the bad guys. So I have an issue with that. As to the specifics of the of the charges here, you know, they're going after him on on essentially conspiracy to hack because uh, they they don't want to make it about publishing secrets. Why? Because our own journalists publish secrets in this country. 
and the DOJ has a policy, but not a law, there is no statute that protects the New York Times. There is no statute that protects the Washington Post from from uh, criminal penalty for publishing classified information. Uh, we just don't do it. We don't force some First Amendment standoff with them by threatening that or, or by taking action. Although the Obama administration came very close, listing James Rose in a Fox News as an as a uh, co-conspirator in an espionage case. And, you know, the, the Obama administration was horrific on press freedom, which they now pretend, oh, no, we stood up to Obama, please. A bunch of wimps in the mainstream media, as you know, they didn't stand up to Obama worth a damn. Uh, but they're going on this conspiracy to hack into a government computer charge because that's one, pretty easy to prove. And two, not specifically about the publishing. So they've just decided that they're going to get this guy. And, you know, I people are blaming the Trump administration for this. Uh, I, I, I think that there are a lot of Hillary people who are still in the government apparatus who maybe Trump's, you know, Trump's people have to sign off on it. I get it. But I think a lot of the Hillary people want to see this guy go down, too. I think this has turned into the political establishment in D.C. wants to finally get Assange. And, you know, they're going to put him away for five years in a federal federal prison. You know, see how he likes that. Uh, and they're going to turn him into a free speech martyr in the process. I would just note that's what a lot of people are going to take from this. So scummy guy had an impact. A lot more to talk about here, but uh, we'll continue to follow it. I'll be right back. Well, they finally got one. They finally, federal government, decided to take action against a Democrat for false statements and for failure to register as a foreign agent and all the rest of it. Greg Craig, who is uh, formerly White House counsel for President Barack Obama in his uh, first year, was indicted earlier today. A lot, a lot of big indictments lately. Avenatti indictment, uh, Julian Assange indictment, Greg Craig indictment. But two counts of making false and misleading statements to investigators, including special counsel Robert Mueller's team. And this is because, guess what? With all the Russia, Russia, Russia collusion nonsense, all the stuff you hear, it turns out that there are Democrats who were involved with Ukrainian oligarchs and trying to do shady overseas political dealings and, and all the rest of it. Um, Greg Craig was working on behalf of Russia-backed former president of Ukraine, Viktor Yanukovych. Oh, you mean that, that people who are politically connected in D.C., that swamp creatures, will just go where the money is? And they'll be unethical in the process, but it's not about trying to overturn an election or do Putin's bidding. They'll just, they're just guns for hire. They're just political mercenaries. You mean that this isn't actually a Republican or Trump-specific thing? Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, and he concealed material facts and made false statements to Mueller and the DOJ National Security Division about the Foreign Agents Registration Act so this is a, a tied to a FARA prosecution, but it's not technically FARA. It's lying about FARA. And this guy was uh, writing some kind of a, uh, essentially a, a, a study, publishing a document, and was saying that he only got, it was a report saying that he only got $12,000 for it when his law firm has actually paid millions. Skadden received $4 million for his services under this. Not twelve. 
not 12,000, 4 million. That's a big difference. Very big difference. This just this shows you a few things. One is is that, you know, swamp creatures going to swamp. People that have uh, access and can trade on that access for money tend to do so. And this is no different. People that want to make a lot of money and, and are unscrupulous will go work overseas and try to, you know, hide. And in this case, he was hiding it because the report was meant to uh, to provide cover um, for Yanukovych in the international community. So it was better if it didn't look like Greg Craig was totally paid off to put forward this report, right? So it was a credibility issue. So on top of just the lying about the funds and lying about this, um, they just were, this, this guy was paying to sell his credibility. Craig, who was Obama's White House counsel, that's right. Oh, there are people tied to Obama who are shady and do bad things? Yeah, of course there are. Um. And, uh, you know, this is this is one of these times where you see that, you know, people can be corrupted for money. But then I got one other frustration. And this is just for me. You know, they're all going to say now, oh, see, they'll they'll prosecute Democrats, too. Uh-uh, sorry. This is a sacrificial lamb case here. This is putting this is putting a a guy, you know, in the crosshairs who's not looking at that much time, whose conduct was pretty egregious for what it was and and tie it's just like it's just what Manafort did same kind of stuff except minus the tax violations i'm not going to believe that we have you know an equal justice system for democrats and republicans in politically high profile cases until Andy McCabe and some others at DOJ and FBI get prosecuted until Andy McCabe gets prosecuted for lying under oath sorry this doesn't cut it for me this is just this is just uh trying to do a distraction move for the most part has returned a 36-count indictment against attorney Michael Avenatti. This indictment is now the operative charging document in the case. The indictment substantially broadens the criminal conduct that was charged in the criminal complaint that was unsealed on March 25th. The charges now being alleged against Mr. Avenatti can be broken down into four general categories. First, wire fraud related to the theft of millions of dollars from five clients. Second, tax fraud, including failing to file income tax returns for himself and his law firm. Third, bank fraud. And fourth, bankruptcy fraud. Michael Avenatti's having a bad day. That's very clear. This guy is facing now a 36-count indictment. And these are the kind of charges, you know, I know Avenatti thinks he's a clever guy, thinks that he's going to appeal to public sentiment and the fact that he's a, a Trump fighter. You know, that was that was his big appeal before. Oh, he's willing to stand with the the porn star and be the, the creepy porn lawyer that he was. But it was bad for Trump. So not only did Democrats not ask any tough questions about him, they elevated him. They pretend like it's not just like they pretend that there was no spying when we all know there was spying on the Trump campaign. This is this is not up for debate. This is not up for discussion. Uh, they pretend now Democrats in the left like there weren't real discussions. And I know there were because I'm here in the swamp and I talk to Democrats a lot. There were discussions about whether Avenatti was going to be a uh, a dark horse political candidate 
for the presidency, for the Democrats in 2020. That was real. They, they want to tell you now that it wasn't. They're like, oh, we never would have done that. Yeah, right. It was real. It's just now that this guy has been exposed as just the worst, slimiest, uh, most disgraceful. I mean, producer Mike is telling me that it was on the cover of Politico. Yeah, man. Politico has that on their, had it right on the front cover that he was going to be the 2020 candidate. So they were all in on him. I, this is this is astonishing. Uh, this is astonishing, you know, that the, the Politico would take the position that this guy, based on what, by the way, because he says mean things about Trump? And and, and don't don't let them say, oh, it, it's only because uh, of what's happened now. We could They couldn't have known that Michael Avenatti was so scummy. And that's really the word for him, scummy. This guy is a, a, an unethical, nasty you know, vindictive ambulance chaser. That's who this is. And the Democrats were like, yeah, let's make him our champion. What does this tell you about them? For all their talk about, oh, Trump is so immoral and we don't like Trump because he doesn't use the nice language. And and, and that's, but then they want to stand behind Michael Avenatti or even have a conversation about this guy as though he's someone that should be taken seriously, really on, on any matter. It's appalling. I mean, the stupidity here is hard to overstate. But, they went for it. They they were they were all about Avenatti and uh, you know trying to find some way to elevate him at Trump's expense. He it was it should have been known that he wasn't anyone to put any stock in because he was the guy. You got to remember, it's not just the Stormy Daniels thing. Avenatti represented Swetnick, Julie Swetnick, the third accuser against Brett Kavanaugh, now Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh, thankfully. And Swetnick's allegations were so transparently and obviously false and preposterous that any ethical lawyer would have refu- would have refused to take that and, and and write out a sworn statement and take that public. But Avenatti's not ethical, not an ethical guy. Obviously, oh, well, what is the extent of his? Uh, corruption. I mean, how much of a of a scummy individual is he? This is from the indictment today as well. Play clip 20. Mr. Avenatti conducted, committed wire fraud <clears throat> in relation to funds, more than $12 million in total, that he received and held in trust on behalf of his clients. While Mr. Avenatti was entitled to attorney's fees for the settlements he negotiated, the indictment alleges that he nevertheless stole millions of dollars that rightfully belonged to his clients. There are five separate client victims in four cases in which money was stolen, including a paraplegic man who agreed to a multi-million dollar settlement, but has received only a fraction of the money despite the fact that Mr. Avenatti received the full settlement amount over four years ago. That's right, everybody. Michael Avenatti, one-time Democrat hopeful for the presidency, the great anti-Trump champion of the loony progressive left was stealing money from a paraplegic client of his as his lawyer. Avenatti was robbing the guy in a wheelchair that he was supposed to represent and has a sacred legal duty 
to protect and assist. Nope. Just stole the money. Just, just stole the money from him. Uh, and these are, these are counts, by the way. These are the kinds of allegations where it either is or it isn't. You know, we were talking about you know, failure to file income taxes and, and, uh, and you know, stealing and money laundering and wire fraud and all these different things. That's the kind of stuff that gets you in a whole lot of trouble. And they either have the records or they don't. I, I'm sure Avenatti's going to come up with, you know, some version of the of the uh, of the kind of OJ defense here, where it's like, oh, they're just getting me because it has nothing to do with the case, but they're just going after me because of Trump. You know, that's what he's going to say. You know, just like with OJ was, oh, yeah, I killed two people, but you know, racism. Avenatti's going to be, I I I stole from a guy in a wheelchair who was my client, but Trump. I don't think that's going to be enough. I don't think that's going to work for this guy. Um, but as fast as you can see Democrats pretend like nothing ever happened, you know, pretend like Michael Avenatti was not, I mean, and, and not just in the political system, but the media, as though the media hadn't already, with the Russia collusion nonsense, covered itself in an absolute just intellectual bile. I mean, just the, the media is, uh, has ruined itself in a way that I'm hoping it will never recover from, uh, just over Russia. But they put this guy Avenatti on TV. I mean, there was a time when Michael, when CNN was the Avenatti channel. I mean, he was on there, it felt like 10 times a day. All because they were just wanting to have somebody who was going to talk about how disgusting Donald Trump was, how terrible he was, and how he slept with a porn star. And let's just talk more about the porn star and Donald, Donald Trump sleeping with the porn star. That's all it was. We're supposed to treat these places as, as legitimate news organizations. And, uh, news organizations. Now, now, you can tell me, Buck, that was a real story. Okay. It wasn't that big a story. It wasn't that interesting. And more than that, maybe they should have asked some questions about this guy. Uh, who obviously has very uh, sketchy relationships with his clients and has a history now that he's going to have to explain well before a hopefully a federal federal jury. Um, that's where this is all heading. But this guy was a hero of the resistance. And you know you see this with a lot of these resistance heroes, whether it's that guy Schneiderman up in New York, who is a left-wing Me Too anti-Trump resistance hero. Oh, he's actually a woman abuser and a, and a scum. Uh, you know you see this. You saw this with Anthony Weiner. Oh, big firebrand leftist type, love to go on TV and mix it up and try to bash conservatives and fight with the right. And oh, it turns out that you know he's chasing around teenage girls and sending you know illicit lewd photos to them. And now is a convicted sex offender, right? But he was on MSNBC all the time. They loved putting they loved putting the wiener on MSNBC. And you know now now you've got Avenatti, who, granted, is not guilty of of that kind of of conduct or anything that that is in that realm. But the kind of unethical behavior we're talking about here—I mean, rip off your clients as a lawyer doesn't get much worse than that. So we'll see what ends up happening. I know he's he's claiming that he's going to beat this. I wonder if that's going to be the case. I, I wouldn't want to represent Avenatti, I'll tell you that much. By any measure, um, 4,000 arrests in a day, 100,000 in a month. That's the population of the city of Albany, New York, that suddenly shows up on our southern border in one month uh, is a crisis. And... 
Uh, it's a crisis because it overwhelms our Border Patrol and our immigration officials' ability to deal with it, and it's a crisis because you have to absorb that population somehow into southern border towns. And uh, so it overwhelms the humanitarian effort on our southern border. It overwhelms our DHS personnel. And frankly, it all emanates from the crisis that's been going on for some time in Central America. Oh, there's a crisis, huh? That's Jay Johnson, Obama's former DHS secretary, a guy very, you know, very respected on the left. And he's saying, look, by any measure, there's a crisis. Wait, but we were told, what, last month, month before that? No crisis. There's no crisis. What, what purpose? Let's really think about this for a moment. What purpose is the media supposed to serve, according to the media? Right? Not, not the, the real purpose that they serve is pushing a left-wing agenda and trying to enrich themselves and grow their power and influence. And I'll do it under this guise of, quote, journalism. But what what are they saying that they do? Oh, that's right. They provide the necessary information to the public for us to understand what's going on in our country and in our world and become more informed and therefore uh, better citizens of this, they would say democracy. Many of you would correct them and say republic, but you know what I mean. Right? They give us the necessary information to be involved and educated citizens and, there, and that, should, that should filter all the way up to our elected representatives. That's what they say. So how is it that they could get this so wrong? How is it possible that in good faith they could miss something by this much? Last 24 hours, you have headlines like this from the New York Times. The U.S. immigration system may have reached a breaking point. How did we go from reached a breaking point now, and you, know, you go back in time and it was, oh no, only people... The only people who are worried about this are, are bad people who don't want Central Americans here because um, they're mean, they're heartless, they want to just separate children, et cetera, et cetera. You know, Vox today, where you know, they just, I, I don't know how they managed to get so many bitter beta males working for one organization, but Vox does a great job of it. Uh, border the migration crisis and the trump administration's response explained they had a piece just a few hours ago so it's a crisis everyone now says it's a crisis why did it take them all this time to get to this point well i'll tell you this i think that not only were they denying the reality of it because they didn't want it to be true i think that in for for some of these newsrooms for some of these organizations and publications they wanted to give more time for to reach this critical mass because now the, the, the storyline that they're pushing isn't, oh, my gosh, what's going on here? What are we going to do to to fix this and stop this? It's, well, we're totally overwhelmed, so we're just going to have to just bring in more and more and more. We, we can't stop this now. Now now it's already, you know, the horses have already left, uh, the, you know, the barn doors were open. The horses have already run out, so to speak. I, I messed up that you know, metaphor, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, they, it's already done. It's a fait accompli. So we might as well just accelerate this process and bring in even more. Just allow a mass migration from Central America into this country under uh, with with illegal crossings happening every day and under false pretenses. It is a false pretense that all these families showing up at the border are fleeing violence in their home countries. That is a lie. It's a lie. Because the violence under asylum 
systems that we're trying to deal with is, is violence that is specifically targeted against people because of either their ethnicity, their, uh, their religion, or their political opposition to the state. It's not, I live in a country where there's violence. I live in Washington, D.C. Am I an asylum seeker if I want to go to Canada because there are parts of D.C. that are violent? My part of D.C. isn't that violent, but there are parts of D.C. where there are shootings and stabbings and bad things happen. So can I do I get to go claim asylum? You know, forget Canada. Can I claim asylum in Monaco because I live in America and there's violence in America? Now, I know you're probably thinking, Buck, this is absurd, but that's exactly right. It is absurd. The positions that are being taken here by the left, by the Democrats and their media lackeys are absurd. They're just simply not intellectually defensible. And yet here we are. The other thing that they're doing, and this this just drives me, just this drives me insane. Um, this is all about racism for them. That's the, that's what the argument turns into. You don't want mass illegal immigration into this country in violation of laws that Democrats aren't changing either. I would I would note, you know, Democrats won't vote for open borders. They just want open borders. And if you try to stand against this and speak about what's really going on, this is what they say. They say about you what they say about Stephen Miller, the president's senior advisor, who is an immigration architect of sorts, or architect of immigration policy. Here's what the media says about him. Play 13. We have a white nationalist president who's a threat to American democracy. It's the language of white nationalist European splinter uh, hard right, crazy town parties, and we haven't heard it in our politics in a long time. It's going to be Stephen Miller, and, and, and his, his, his sort of white nationalist tendencies are really obvious. You can't even dress that up. Stephen Miller, immigration hardliner. Immigration hardliner, Stephen Miller. The dark lord of anti-immigration, Stephen Miller. I don't think it's a stretch for a lot of Americans out there to wonder whether or not the president is secretly considering himself a white nationalist. That was the senior White House correspondent for CNN saying he thinks the president secretly is a white nationalist. Just for anybody who says, they can't call us fake news, that's so unfair. No, they are fake news. CNN's a joke. Maybe it won't always be. Maybe it will get its bearings and, and start to be a news organization again. Now CNN is a propaganda organ of the Democratic Party, full stop. But all that stuff they said, they're white nationalists, Trump's a white nationalist, Steve Miller's a white nationalist. This is how the left, this is how the left debates. You know, they, they won't get into the substance on this because what they're doing is they're, they're allowing the country to slowly dissolve. Our sovereignty is eroding every day. That's just reality, but they don't want to face that. So what do they do? They say, oh, well, if you have a problem with this, you're, you're a white nationalist. You're a bad person. That's what they tell you. There's a lot of latitude, a lot you can get away with in debate if you have no ethics and no, no real argument to make. And unfortunately, that's what we face when we're arguing with libs. I know that there's something else that has been on your mind and on a lot of folks' minds, and that is some comments and some, some backlash now to Congresswoman Elon Omar after some comments surfaced this week in which, and I want to play it, she said something about the 9-11 attacks. I want to talk about your reaction to the backlash and your reaction to the comment in two pieces. So here's that remark, Congresswoman. CARE was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. And it's that, that phrase. 
people did something that is being picked up on by some of the Congresswoman's critics, including, for example, the cover of the New York Post, which I will ask you about in a second. But on these remarks themselves, some people did something as a reference to 9-11. Do you think she should have rethought her words? Do you worry about the appropriateness of that? They do this all the time to us, especially women of color. They do that. They take our words out of context because they're afraid because we speak truth. We speak truth to power. My sister, Ilhan Omar, she was she was talking about was uplifting people by okay. supporting. So, their- so you've heard it. That's enough of the loony, the loony bin over at MSNBC there. But I just wanted to give the, uh, you know, give the, the context of this. That was Rashida Tlaib, another one of these new uh, members of, of the Democrat majority House of Representatives who has some ideas that are uh, that are problematic when it comes to. Well, when it comes to Israel specifically, but a whole lot of things. And she went on to say that it was a pure racist act to call out Ilhan Omar for. And and they played the audio there, too. So you got to hear for yourself. You know, you know, some people did something with 9-11. That's, you know, let's let's just put it this way. I I understand you can make this case that, oh, she was trying to just move past it quickly and not get bogged down to that. You know, there's there are ways you could try to explain away any bad comments. But, you know, if we were talking about World War II and we were talking about the Holocaust and someone said, yeah, okay, so, you know, um, some people did some very bad thing or she didn't even say that. If you just said some people did some things in the death camps, people would rightly look at you like you were nuts. You know, what what do you mean? Some people did something in the death camps like some it was one of the worst atrocities in the history of, of humanity. What why would you refer to that as some people did something? And as a native New Yorker and an American and a human being, uh, to refer to the murder of nearly 3,000 people over the course of, of an hour or so, including uh, many of them burned alive, jumping out of buildings to escape the flames, uh, crushed in debris, terrified, to refer to that as some people did something, yeah, you're going to get hit for that. You're going to get hit for that, Omar. You're going to get hit for that, Talib. People are going to rightly get upset at that because it's a very disrespectful way to talk about an event that changed many lives, changed my life, changed the lives of a lot of you listening to this who served in the military or served in the government trying to track down those pieces of you know what who attacked us on that day. So it was a big deal. It was a big deal. It wasn't some people did something, but you know, this is the victim mentality. Uh, Omar. At, talking about care and look care are often terror apologists they are let's just say what it is care the council on air uh arab islam or american islamic relations rather is often downplaying terror and and does this whole whiny oh but the real threat is islamophobia all to, all the time you know the real threat is is that people are going to think that islam isn't a religion of peace well that's a whole other conversation uh, I, I do not respect CARE as an organization. I do not think that, and don't even get me started with some of the other connections that it's had in the past. We'll be here all night. But for her to just sort of dismiss 9-11 and say the real problem is that people looked at uh, some individuals wearing hijabs in the months after 9-11 a little bit strangely. I'm not saying that's not a problem, but it's nowhere near in the same stratosphere of problem as 3,000 Americans, including a lot of Muslims, by the way, killed on 9-11. I think that's a much, much bigger deal. But what's the go to? What does the progressive left do when cornered with their own uh, 
foolishness, well, you know what they do. They make it about, oh, it's racist. Oh, it's it's um, policing, quote, women of color and, and the way that they speak about these matters. And this is the way there's a whole generation now. It's really my contemporaries who are just beginning to you know, start their long, I'm sure, decades long careers in the Congress of these progressive, woke social justice warrior types who don't, you know, Pelosi and and Biden, you know, they they give lip service to all that social justice stuff because it's useful for them. But they don't they're not true believers. You know, Joe Biden is a white dude who likes to play a lot of golf and, you know, puts on this air of being a man of the people, but really, really likes to spend time around the fancy and the connected. Uh, but Tlaib and Omar and Ocasio-Cortez and, you know, a whole bunch of other young Democrat members of Congress, they're true believers in this stuff. I mean, they they think that social justice, wokeness and intersectionality and the obsession that the left has with the politics of oppression and, and victimology, that, that's not just for them a posture. They, they really think this stuff is, is important. They think that this is real and they want to fight against it. And they know that, the, that their most effective weapon is to run around calling everybody racist, calling everybody an Islamophobe, and just try to use fear instead of argument and persuasion so that no one will stand in their way. And here, here's Tlaib talking about Trump's uh, travel ban, which the people still lie. They still say it's a Muslim ban. It, it bans something like population wise, 12 percent of the Muslim world. I mean, it's a, it's a tiny, tiny fraction. And there are all kinds of loopholes. And but here's what she says about that. Play 22. The fact that even the, the Muslim ban being present, uh, currently in existence, it shows uh, to so many people like somehow as being of Muslim faith, expressing your freedom of religion uh, in this country, that somehow that you're less than. And they need to see leadership from Congress members that say, we don't agree with this president. We don't agree with this un-American policy. And that's what we're doing by introducing this bill and pushing forward and using it to educate American people that this directly, this no matter what the courts are saying, I'm telling you, this was intended to direct impact people's right to express themselves through uh, their faith and in many ways also feel make people feel less than because they're of Muslim faith. So was it intended to make all the North Korean Muslims of which there are none feel less than or what about the Venezuelan Muslims of which there are some but not very many Uh, were they were they supposed to feel badly about what about the rest of the people of Venezuela and North Korea did was this a an attack on their Islamicness? Or, or lack of lack of uh, Islamic credentials? I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering. What about all the Muslim countries that are not included in the ban? Oh, what about the fact that the countries in the ban were specifically singled out by the Obama administration as countries that have a particular problem with terrorism? Is that, was Obama being Islamophobic and racist? Or I, I, I just would like some clarity from the left on this. I, I'd like them to explain what it is exactly that they're uh, that they're referring to when they call it a Muslim ban, because it clearly doesn't ban all Muslims. It only bans some Muslims. So and it's based on national origin, not based on religious persuasion. So, in fact, if you are an Iranian, uh, an Iranian Christian or an Iranian Jew, you would also be covered by this. Is it something we should ignore that many of the most troubled places in the world when it comes to uh, political violence and instability happen to be Muslim-majority countries? Are we, are we supposed to pretend that's not the case? No, you know what we're supposed to do? 
we are supposed to let Omar and Talib and Ocasio-Cortez just browbeat all the rest of us into agreeing to whatever they want politically, culturally, uh, because to oppose them is to be sexist, racist, bigoted, and Islamophobic. That's the real plan. That's their pitch. And unfortunately, because of the brainwashing of the millennials that are, you know, my generation, this stuff works. Alexa. What is the CIA? The Central Intelligence Agency, the civilian foreign intelligence service of the U.S. government, tasked with gathering, processing, and analyzing national security information from around the world, primarily through the use of human intelligence. Do you work for the CIA? Alexa. Do you work for the CIA? <laughs> no, I'm not employed by them. I'm made by Amazon. All right, all right, all right. So that was one of my that was one of my favorite uh that's one of my favorite Alex Jones moments there, man. Alexa, do you work for the CIA? No, I do not work for the CIA. Um so here's here's why I'm I'm bringing this up right now. Other than uh you know, anytime we can talk about Mr. Jones's greatest hits is is entertaining. Uh, there is reason to be concerned about these open mics that people have all over the place. Uh, I've, I've been worried about this for, for some time. I have Siri on my iPhone. I turn Siri off. Why would I turn Siri off? Well, because for me, the idea that I would have a microphone that is actively monitoring and therefore recording everything that I say and that that recording device is, one, entrusting that information to a third party, and two, already linked up to all of my personal information and data and connected to the Internet, that strikes me as a little bit terrifying. And this is where we start to see that we do live in a kind of digital panopticon. I don't know how many of you know what a, what a panopticon is, so let me explain that for a second. It's a... Uh, an English philosopher named Jeremy Bentham came up with this idea in the 18th century of a building where you were essentially, there's one central guard tower surrounded with all these cells that are open. And because the cells are all open and you have no privacy and there's a guard tower, everyone will behave because uh, there's, you never know if someone's looking at you. Right. So you never know when you're being watched versus when other people are being watched. So therefore, you have to assume all the time you're being watched. We do live in a kind of digital panopticon now. Now, I think in many ways that's good for human behavior. I think that the, the enormous increases we've had in, in safety in America, for example, are largely attributable to technology, most specifically the proliferation of cellular phones and geolocation on those phones and just the all the tracking and everything that's possible as a result of these computers, which is what we are carrying. Around. We are carrying computers around with us all the time that are tracking our moves, that are uh, storing our communications. But I've never been comfortable with this thing of, of Siri, you know, when I'm sitting around that I'm like talking, I don't know, maybe I'm talking a little bit about T-Swift's greatest hits. And it's like playing Taylor Swift. Are you ready for it? Um, when that happens, not that that has ever happened to me, obviously, right? That happens to producer Mike. I'm not the T-Swift fan. Uh, but when that happens, he's going to punch me for that. Um, I just got to say that 
you know, you you got to remember that that information that you're you're speaking openly all the time about is going through an electronic device and there is some analysis of it. Well, it turns out that it's not just and this is the big story today on Bloomberg. It's not just the algorithms and machine learning that is applied to what you're saying in earshot of your Alexa. The reality is that a lot of what you're saying, or or at least a lot of what you're saying could be listened to by an actual live human being who works for Amazon. That's disconcerting, folks. I, I would not want that to be the case. I, I think that this is where we see the the privacy uh, need should be reestablished in ways that, that are urgent. Uh, they have this article where they talk about how there are you know, there are tens of millions of people around the world who use these smart speakers and they'll say, you know, play Kenny G, you know, Kenny G, right? That sounds just like Kenny G, I will have you know. And then it comes on and people think they're all cool. So when I'm like, hey, Alexa, drop down the Murphy bed, turn the lights low and let the cat Stevens purr. Um, yeah, maybe I look like a smooth operator. Smooth operator. Uh, but that means that all the times when I'm talking about other things, Alexa is also hearing that. And there are cases now of, of people that work for Amazon who have heard what they think might be a, a crime in progress, or that they might have even heard a, a sexual assault or a child being abused or you know something. And you know what are the legal ramifications of this? When do they take action? How do they know what's really going on? What are the expectations we should have of a company that is essential. And now remember, I understand this is not Amazon's fault per se, because people are bringing these devices into their homes. They know that they're open, open microphones, but everyone should be very uncomfortable with the idea of an open microphone in their home. I'm uncomfortable enough with the smartphones that we currently have and the fact that we know they can be turned on remotely. There was that, I think it was in Skype or was it in FaceTime? where there was a way that you could conference in people and you could turn on the video uh, feature on their phone, even if they didn't want it. I mean, this is all very real. And it's just, it's a reminder that there are always going to be trade-offs with technology. Uh, sometimes the trade-offs are, are very minimal on the downside, but there's always some kind of a trade-off. You know, whoever used to make buggy whips is pretty bummed out now that people are making car engines. Uh, but when you're talking about the surveillance realm and the self-surveillance that we are doing now, the people, you know, the founding fathers, and I like to remind everybody of this, the founding fathers were concerned about general warrants. A general warrant required a, an actual agent of the British government to, to go in and look through your stuff and, and, you know, rifle through your papers and your personal effects. And that really upset the, the colonials, right? That got the, our, our forefathers in, in quite a, their breaches got into a twist, if you will. Uh, but now what you have are government agencies and government in, and, and private agencies as well have far more access and information about us than anybody would have thought possible. And the founding fathers were concerned about the intrusion into our private lives when it required an actual human being, right? This is why we have the uh, the amendments that we do. This is why we have individual prote uh, protections for individual liberty. The ability of the government to intrude into your life now is so much magnified from what it was in the late eighteenth in the late eighteenth century, 
And because it's convenience, though, and because it's associated with what is new and what is hip and what is, uh, you know, creates wealth, we don't always think about the other end of it. So I'm just telling you, I am not a, I love technology. I'm, I'm not a Luddite, uh, but I am somebody who doesn't want open microphones. I mean, here's a perfect example. Whenever I'm recording at home, I don't leave, even though I've got some devices set up where I can do uh, radio. I can connect radio live if I want to from my home. The Freedom Hut is is sometimes uh, mobile. But I always unplug the... I always told the engineers, I want to know how to unplug the microphone. So it is, from an engineering and electricity standpoint, impossible for this mic to be on because I don't want to trust that, oh, the program is off. Oh, maybe the program's on now. Now maybe everything I'm doing in my home is being recorded on a device. I'm just not okay with it. So this story has been a long time in coming, but you know, people should have known this really. The fact that this is collecting and collecting what you say all the time and sifting through it algorithmically. If they're sifting through it algorithmically, it means that there is some digital storage of what you're saying. And if there's digital storage of it, then human beings can hear it too, folks. I don't want to know how this is being applied in, in some other countries where we have no uh, expectation well there is no expectation of privacy there are no first amendment rights but perhaps that'll be a conversation for another time uh team let's talk about a very special day today coming up in just a moment it's a very special day today folks no i don't have a family birthday to give a shout out to but it's not not quite as cool as that so maybe now i'm disappointing you but it is national pet day which is one of these things where people come up with a national day for something. There's like national banana slug day, national wear Birkenstocks, even though they're outdated since 1998 day. I mean, there's all kinds of weird days that we are supposed to celebrate now, but national pet day is kind of a fun one because we all get to post photos of our little furry, fluffy, fluffy friends. I mean, national pet. uh, Now that's assuming I know some of you are like, Buck, there's a little bit of pet bigotry going on here with you. Because maybe my pet's not fluffy. Maybe it has scales. Maybe it has slime. Maybe it has fangs and poison that it can inject via them. And if the answer to any of those is, is, or if the reality of any of those is is that, yes, that's what you have, I am very curious as to uh, some of the decisions you've made. I I always wonder why anyone would have a pet tarantula, for example. Uh, I always remember that from Home Alone. I've been terrified ever since. I would not allow somebody, you know, there, there are most pets that I would allow in my home, even as a visitor. Pet tarantula, it's not coming in the house. Sorry, not doing it. Tarantulas are the enemy. Uh, snakes, I also hate snakes. I don't understand. And I think that lizard brains aren't big enough to form emotional attachments. Some people have gotten mad at me. They say my pet turtle was very loving. I don't think you can snuggle a turtle. P.S. Salmonella. So there's that. But let me talk to you about the the dogs that I had growing, or in, in my family at least. We had a Boston Terrier growing up who was adorable, and her name was Dixie. Very, very cute dog. Um, Boston Terriers, for those of you who want a, a compact dog with a, a tremendous amount of energy and spunk, uh, but really sweet and, and a great temperament, Boston Terriers are really, really good. So people that have young families in particular, and if you don't have a big house and a big yard, I think Boston Terrier is a great choice. Uh, now, my parents, uh, my family up in, in New York, they have a French bulldog named Tulula, who is very French. 
One minute she wants to give you the, the kiss on the cheek with the tongue because she thinks you're so fantastic. The next minute she cannot be found anywhere. She doesn't want to talk to you. She will not respond to your phone call, your text message because she is French. Um, she, she can be a little coy sometimes. So, you know, occasionally she wants snuggles and then she doesn't want snuggles. And, you know, then you just want those little French bulldog snuggles all the more. Uh, but she's a lot of fun. My older brother has a Pomeranian that he... Now, again, a small dog. But if you live in a city, small dogs make a lot of sense. People that have these large dogs... You know, I, I mean, you don't want a Rhodesian Ridgeback if you're living in a 400-square-foot studio in Murray Hill. I, I'm just saying, folks, it's not a good idea. I see people that do this, and I go, you know, you got to think about the breed that, uh, that you're going to be bringing into your home. Uh, I'm not bringing up the pit bull thing because I know so people are so, and that's like bringing up vaccines. People are very passionate on both sides of that discussion. Uh, I've known some lovely pit bulls. I also think that animals that are much more powerful and have more powerful jaws, you have a smaller margin for error. If they're not, you know, someone's chihuahua is a biter. It's very different than someone's 80 pound pit is a biter. But I know people get mad. They say pit bulls are wonderful pets. I've, I've missed, I've, uh, you know, I've known pit bulls. So and and then there's uh, the other thing that I always find so interesting about the pet world. And this is making me want to get a dog really bad. And my, my dream dog is an English bulldog. No, I want an English bulldog. I'm going to get one one day. I already have 10 different names picked out for him or her. I'm not sure which I'm going to go with. Um, but that the for the four-legged animals, uh, obviously the most popular dogs then... Uh, I think that's right, isn't it? Yeah, 36% of U.S. households own a dog. 30% own a uh, a cat. Um, now, that's of, I think that must be of people that have a pet. 30 36 So basically, a third of pet owners have dogs. A third of pet owners have cats. And then it's broken down between the rest. But you know what? The, John, what's the most popular four-legged pet that's not a dog or a cat? Hamster? On, Close. Very good guess. It's actually ferrets. Um, it's actually a ferret. Nope. John, actually, I'm looking at the stats right now. I lied. Turns out that it's, you're right. Look at that, John. You're right. It is a hamster. Ferrets are number five on the list after hamsters and gu uh, guinea pigs. So I never cease to impress. John, amazing stuff. Roll call is up next. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. All right, let's get to some Roll Call. I feel like it's been so long. It's been a full 24 hours since the Roll Call time, and that's just too long. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton to send your thoughts here to the Freedom Hut, to the Buck Sexton Show. Always love to hear from you, and even when the messages that come in uh, have far too many links in them. A little pet peeve of mine, guys. I want to. I want to hear from you. I don't want eight links. So write me. Don't link spam me. Uh, but even link spamming, I I appreciate the effort. Although don't do it. Send me your thoughts. Sean writes. Afternoon, Buck. I read that Congress is thinking of giving themselves a pay raise again. How about the state that represents them have to vote for pay raises and or reductions? Could you use your swampy connections to see if this can really become a reality? Shields high. Sean, 
an original Real News fan. Wow, Real News from back in the day, Sean. That is going on eight years ago. Isn't that a pretty astonishing turn of events? Eight years ago was uh, when we, or I think that's right, uh, launched the Real News show on The Blaze. And that was a great show. I, I still think that Glenn Beck doesn't get enough credit to this day for what he did for conservative media in this country. He set up a place where people like me who had no previous media training could go and get world-class media training. I mean, have really top executives running a company where you also had a lot of freedom to maneuver, a lot of ability to try your, you try your hand at different things. I mean, when I was at The Blaze, I was doing radio, I was doing podcast, I was doing writing for the website, uh, wrote an ebook, and did TV every day. All different kinds of TV, panel shows, hosting shows, quick hits as a guest. So the, the real news was a part of that whole effort. And I still think that when you look at who came out of The Blaze, either as an employee or and I know the Blaze. People say the Blaze is still around, Buck. I know, but it's different now. It's merged with CRTV, and now it's the Blaze Media. But the original days of the Blaze TV, which was GB TV, you had all of your favorite conservatives, really aged. Not all of them. I some of you say, Buck, what about so and so? But a, a, a big chunk of your favorite conservatives, aged twenty five to four, well, maybe now more like thirty to forty. We're all going through the blaze in different ways, different times. So I'm glad that some of you have stuck with me all this time. TJ writes, Buck, have you looked much into the firing of Palmer Lucky, the Oculus founder from Facebook? Supposedly it was performance-based, but there's a lot of evidence to suggest otherwise, and in fact was likely because of his support for Trump, plus a lot of other shady, possibly illegal stuff by Facebook. Blake Harris is the author of the book, the History of the Future, that chronicles this story and was on Beck's radio show podcast yesterday talking about it. You should see if you can get him on your show or on Rising to Discuss. P.S. His book has skyrocketed up the bestsellers list since his appearance on Beck's show. Uh, that's really interesting, TJ. I don't know anything about this, so I'll have to look into it a little bit. Uh, Oculus, huh? I always think of Oculus and confuse it with, well, not confuse it with, but uh, think of the show Silicon Valley, where they have uh, the the guy who says octopus when he means Oculus, and he has a whole, yeah, he has, there's, a, I can't explain it other than that. David, that was a weird anecdote, I know, but if you watch Silicon Valley, you're like, I know what he's talking about. David Wright, Shields High Buck, Ted Lou's obvious misrepresentation of what Candace Owens, right after he played the clip, uh, said was jaw-dropping. Lou wants people to think that what made Hitler a maniac was the nationalist part of National Socialism, probably because he knows his own party is currently infested with anti-Semitic socialists who want global power without borders. Sounds familiar. Uh, well, David, I, I you know, I, I know that the Democrats really do believe because they've been they've been brainwashed into thinking this and they've been told this by many many people that national socialism had nothing to do with socialism uh, this is where i would tell you to check out the book the nazi war on cancer and th there are there's a lot of um a lot of different programs put in place by the national socialists that would now you have to put put aside the uh you know, the, the racial, genocidal, all, all the, those components of it for a moment. 
I'm just saying there are other programs within the Nazi state that were very clearly socialist. That's why they're called the National Socialists. So they can try as much as they want to remove that component. But uh, the Nazi Party, the National Socialists were, in fact, collectivists. They were socialists. They were uh, making war on the Lutheran Church in Germany. They were fighting with communists, not because they hate communism so much, but because communists and National Socialists were fighting over the same recruits. They were fighting over the same uh, groups of, of people in the street, so to speak. And that's so they were rivals. They were not ideological opposites. That's not the same thing. And one of the shortcomings, even for uh, devoted, uh, devoted socialists, one of the shortcomings of, of and this is the reason why you had the Communist International. And uh, it, it, one of the things they realized was going to be problematic is that people, even if they have a unifying global ideology, they like the idea of belonging to a nation. Uh, people think of themselves. Sure, they want to be socialist, but they want to be you know, Dutch socialists and German socialists and Spanish socialists, etc. They, they don't necessarily just want to be part of this world workers movement because we need a greater sense of identity than that. Karen writes, some of the new ads, especially during the podcast, are, are uninteresting, but they pay the bills so I can live with them. Karen, thank you so much. That's right. Hashtag commerce, hashtag capitalism. Uh, very important. It's what keeps me on the air. It's also where I'll tell you that whenever I give you guys uh, a, a commercial with a, a slash buck at the end of it, to use promo code buck, please do check out that product. Uh, if you if you have a chance, you know, if you're not already a subscriber to Black Rifle under my code, which is very important, or if you haven't yet thought about giving the Leadership Institute or tried First Leaf Wine Club or any of these different, those of you who have do background need background checks for your business uh, our friends global verification has been a great partner whenever you try their services and they know that you learned about it on this show you are voting for the continued growth and success of the buck saxon show it's very straightforward it's very easy so this show is obviously free for all of you across the country every day but our sponsors are what are what keeps the radio uh electrified it is what keeps the lights on in the freedom hunt so, uh, and I'm very upfront about that. These are partners for the show. And whenever you can show your support for what we do here by uh, trying their products, checking out their services, it really does, it, it means a lot. And every single one of you counts. I mean, they, they count up how many of you go in. And even if you don't buy something, if you go to the site, you go to the URL and show some, uh, some interest in the product, that helps. Although buying is better if you can. Capitalism, baby. I'm all about it. Uh, Corey writes, just a quick shout out to expand upon what James wrote in about. I'm also a podcast listener and there's also a lot of these ads. Thanks. Heaven. Thank heavens for the fast forward seek button. You know, Corey, we're going to try to find a happy medium here. I'm going to talk to my team and see if we can get some stuff set up so that we, um, you know, we're in a place now where, yeah, we need to have ads, but I want, I obviously want the user experience to be optimal. Uh Oh, Bruce. Whenever it starts out like this, you know, I got trouble. It's not often I disagree with you, but I honestly do not believe Mitch McConnell deserves credit for holding off Garland or his support of Judge Kavanaugh. That is simply what he was elected to do. Besides, do nothing or the opposite would have been political suicide. Picking Kavanaugh was not one of the president's finest moments. There were far more conservative picks just saying. Hmm, you know, Bruce, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll see your disagreement and raise you a disagreement. Uh, I think that, 
you know, Mitch McConnell has been willing on, and I'm not some big Mitch McConnell fan. I think Buck Sexton is a fantastic radio host, and I want him to always be the best on radio. I, I, I think Mitch McConnell, you know, in some ways really typifies the Republican establishment and does occasionally have some rhino tendencies. Depends on the topic. But on the issue of conservative judges, man, he's been a beast. He has been getting those uh, nominations through. He's, he was willing to fight fire with fire and, and uh, refused to allow Democrats to continue their obstruction. So it's all real stuff there, folks. That's, that's all real. Um, I, I mean, look, Bruce, you're entitled to your opinion. I'm entitled to mine on this one. And I, I see what you're saying. We just have different standards for what's worthy of applause. Your, your point is that's what he's supposed to do. So that's the way it should be. And my sense of it is these days, if you're a politician and you just meet the bare minimum standard of what we want from you, that puts you in a kind of class by yourself. Brian, hold on a second, Brian. Here you go. Uh, hey, brother, great rant on taxes tonight. I gave up trying to figure it out a long time ago and simply pay a company to do it for me and tell me where to sign. That said, my wife and I finally purchased a home last year for our young family. Congratulations, Brian. Uh-oh. Unfortunately, we had to pull from our 401k to help with the down payment. Ugh. The IRS charged us more than $10,000 over last year's taxes for it. Just when I think I'm getting out of debt, they pull me back in. It's just so gosh darn intentionally confusing to retain the ability to get you on anything. Praying for a flat tax on assets. I leave you with a quote from Einstein. The hardest thing in the world is to understand income taxes. It's a legit quote. Come on, dude. No, it, really, no it's not. No, it's not. That's like Abraham Lincoln says... Don't believe everything you hear on the internet. You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't buy that one. But Brian, I hear you on the taxes, man. It's out of control. People need to get a grip and stop allowing for us to all get ripped off by the government the way that we do. And, and look, it's corruption. I mean, that's why the tax code is the way it is because of corruption. This is very, very straightforward. Katie writes, Buck, I love your passion. Katie, I love your love of passion. When you're really feeling it lately, your voice gets gruff. It makes me nervous for anyone next in the studio, but I know you're being real. I was wondering if the Chicago PD can sue Smollett for the cost of his fraudulent case. Don't I have standing as a taxpayer to sue the DNC and Justice Department for the $26 million spent on the Russian investigation? I want my money back. Katie, I hear you in principle, but your share of the Russian investigation would probably be, uh, you know, uh, less than a penny. And same with mine, because there's a lot of us paying taxes. But I, I hear what you're saying. And I do think that Smollett should be forced to pay back the money that he cost the city of Chicago. But I, I'm... I think Smollett might get off totally, totally scot-free in this whole thing, which is appalling. All right, team, tomorrow Freestyle Friday. Looking forward to it. I'll talk to you then. Shields high.